Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new motorsport podcast series. I'm Ed Foster, and this time we're turning our attention to Porsche. The series is called Porsche's Winning Formula. Ever since Ferdinand Porsche designed the Volkswagen Beetle in 1939, eight years after launching his eponymous company in 1931, Porsche has been at the forefront of vehicle design. While the Pretty 356 was the first car to carry the Porsche name in the late 1950s, Many of you will automatically think of the 911 that arrived over 10 years later, arguably the most successful sports car of all time. The model is still being built nearly 60 years later. In those years, Porsche has won the Le Mans 24 hours more than any other manufacturer. It's been victorious in Formula One, both as a constructor and an engine supplier, and it's won countless GT championships with its beloved 911. Porsches have even done rallycross and rallying. In this special podcast series, we are going to speak to the racers that are at the forefront of the German manufacturer's racing development and key names from the road car side to get a better idea of how this great company has had so much success for so long. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Motorsport Podcast. I'm Ed Foster, and this episode is in partnership with the British luxury yacht manufacturer, Princess Yachts. Now, this is another podcast in our Porsche's winning formula series. And we've got an absolute treat for you today. We are joined by one of the greatest architects of Porsche's sports car success across four decades. Norbert Singer, a very, very warm welcome. Thank you. <laughs> um, now, we've got a lot to talk about because uh, really, I, you know, I've been reading up about everything you did throughout your time at Porsche and everything else over the last, you know, four or five decades. And there's no way we're going to be able to cover everything. Um, but, but tell me a bit about what, what you're doing now. Because you were, you were working with uh, Le Mans. Um, and what, 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 are you, what are you up to at the moment? No, no, the, 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 the working with uh, Le Mans uh, uh, was stopped in, uh, what was it, in four, four years ago or so, something like this, because they... Uh, they uh, organized it uh, uh, noon. They came new people because the effort getting bigger and bigger. And so uh, they, I, I went out, but I'm still uh, a guest at Le Mans. And I think this is yeah, this is okay for me. I'm pretty old already, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, I must not go to every meeting in Paris or at Le Mans or whatever. Yeah. I, I, what I really wanted to do was sort of rewind right back to the start, because I, I read something. Is it, is it right that you wanted to be a rocket scientist originally? Uh, basically, yeah. This was my, my first idea, because uh, in, in these days, in the 50s, when uh, uh, space science got more popular, rockets getting up, satellites at least were starting, and uh, and it was a very interesting uh, science, and I uh, was studying in, in Munich in university, and I had the opportunity to go to some lectures from famous people, and uh, one or two were, were important, uh, I think was very important for me. One was uh, Van Herfen Brown, you probably know him. He went uh, after the war to the Americans and was helping there for the uh, moon probe. Uh, but uh, his, actually his teacher uh, uh, was Hermann Obert. Uh, that know him is probably not so famous, but he wrote very interesting books about what you can do in space with satellites. And this he wrote already in the... 30s and 40s years, so 1930 or something like this. So nobody in these days were really thinking about space science and how the satellites came up. And I, I, I was once I had the opportunity to talk to him 
was very, very interesting uh, how he explained it. And uh, for a normal uh, student, first of all, it's why why are the satellites not falling down <laughs> to the earth or so? <laughs> and how big must uh, must they end up sending uh, probes to the moon or so on? This was, and the distances are in unbelievable far and and all these funny things were really interesting. So, but besides, mm. I was also a little bit uh, in motorsport. I visited some races and so. Uh, at the end of my studies, I had to make a decision one or the other uh, way. And uh, one uh, gentleman in the university, he said, uh, you had to go, actually in Germany, you had to, we are a car company, a car country. And uh, science, uh, space science is... Uh, just uh, living on the support of the of the government, and when they stop the money, you have no job. So it's really and actually he was right in these days. Mm. So and then I got the opportunity to 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 go to Porsche in the racing think, department. And but I think you didn't you um, look at going to Opel before Porsche? Yeah, well, this was yeah this was the first uh, idea of going to to Opel because. I talked to a, a guy. Uh, he had uh, some connections to 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 Opel in Rüsselsheim, the the headquarter, and they said, "Well, we are looking for young uh, engineers, and uh, you have the possibility after one or two years to go. You were sent to General Motors in America, and this was exciting because in these days, traveling to America it was something, uh, yeah, not not common." <laughs> Yeah. It was quite interesting. So, uh, and therefore, and when I got the the, the information, they were asking. Uh, uh, Porsche was asking for a young engineer, which who can they could uh, support him or help him or so. On. And they said uh, the guy said yes. So there is. I had to ask, and then he asked me and said, "What do you think about going to Porsche?" And I said, "Well, I'm talking already with Opel." And then he said, well, they're looking for somebody for the race department. I said, this is different. <laughs> I changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but your, your sort of your start with Porsche wasn't that easy because I, I don't think you knew you even got the job, did you? Yeah, they forgot to, to send me a contract. And uh, so I was sitting at home and my father was already laughing because he doesn't like these. He said, but Porsche is a small company and they... How, how long they will do it, and and uh, Opel is a, a big company, so is, your job is is uh, sure you you have no problems there. But I said, well, I will do some years in in racing. And the guy, when I talked to the Opel guy, and he said, well, it's no no problem at all. After two or three years, to come to Opel, and uh, you are more valuable <laughs> because you have quite some experience. Yeah. In, interestingly, I when I very first applied for motorsport magazine um well it's about 13 years ago now um i they didn't tell me i'd got the job either and it was very similar to you with porsche and i called up asking <laughs> whether they'd made a decision they said oh yeah you've got the job we forgot to tell you <laughs> so it's not just you it's not just you um you you're right you arrived at porsche um and really this was in the height of before Porsche's first Le Mans win. Um, the 908 hadn't quite managed it um, in the late 60s. Mm -hmm. And you arrived, you know, with a 917 going to, I think it was in March that year. So you had three months to help with the 917 before that 1970 Le Mans. Um, and it's not like it is today. You, I think you were thrown kind of right in the deep end, weren't you? Because you were working on the gearbox, you were working on um, yeah. something else as well. Uh, it must have been quite a baptism of fire. Well, it's it's uh, well as a young engineer, and you're very excited with racing anyhow. Because I had uh, when I was visit, visiting some races, especially one at, at uh, Monte Carlo, and in these days the uh, uh, you could really watch the car because the cars were in different garages all over the the, the city, and you could walk in and could see the race car very close. There was no paddock in, in the in the in the in the idea of today. So and uh, uh, so now I was 
a person involved in, 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 in development of a race car. So, so, and Porsche in these days, the Porsche racing department these days, there are not so many people. And uh, of course, that's why they were looking for a new a, a young guy who could support them. And I was thrown in, into the daily work, actually. Can you do this? There will have a problem with gearbox cooling. Can you take the car going to wind tunnel, improve the track and, and all these things? So it was very exciting. And uh, I learned within weeks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can imagine because you... Um, because you you were you were doing your job, and uh, several days later there was run a test, and it shows your job was was fine, or you had to 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 continue. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So, so for this was, I think this is the the most important part in racing. You get immediately results from your work. Yeah. And not so, waiting four or five years till the car is in production or not. <laughs> yeah. Because well, so that was you know when when Porsche stopped its its motor racing. Um, and you ended up going to the road car side. I think that was one of your problems, wasn't it? That, you know, in racing, everything is so immediate, whereas with the road car side, it's, it, everything just takes so much longer, and you weren't particularly a fan of that. Yeah, because Porsche was, was uh, stopping uh, the, 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 the big racing in uh, 72 because the 917 was no longer uh, allowed to race. They, they changed regulation to the the prototypes. The three the prototypes. Porsche had a 908, but this the engine was air cooled and the power was not as as good as uh, the 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 Cosmos engine or the or the other um, four valve water cooled engine they had. So it doesn't make sense to 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 continue. And in these days, I think it was uh, there was Porsche was changing from to an AG. So we got a, a board, and the head of the board was uh, Dr. Fuhrman. He was. Uh, in the old days, uh, engine designer with uh, the old Professor Porsche, so the father of Ferry Porsche. And he was actually, it turned out, a kind of racer because he was doing these, these uh, special racing engines and he, and he had a, quite a, a sensible uh, uh, idea of, of, of uh, Porsche should, should stay in racing. And he said with the 917, even with the Canem, we cannot afford it. When you imagine, in these days, I had a look later, uh, Porsche was selling 15,000, 17,000 cars per year, which is actually nothing. But yeah. they, they do it in a week today or in two weeks. So, and and when you see the, the money you earned, it was not just spent in, in, in racing, it, it's, you had to spend it in, in, in road car development. Lots of emission tests were coming up, crash tests coming up. So the, the the people who were working on the road cars, they were well. There was a big a big job for them, and they need the money. So, and but he still said, okay, we do a little racing because Porsche is uh, racing, and we try to continue. And therefore, he started this um, RSR project. Mm. Yeah, it was actually it was uh, well coming uh, coming down from from a kind of overall winds to to class winds or so. But anyhow, it was for me it was was a, a wonderful uh, years. Yeah, do you? I think sort of nowadays it's it's easy to see marketing as kind of an ex, an extension of the market. Sorry, racing as an extension of the marketing kind of side of of a company. Whereas then, you know, back in the 70s and, and to a certain extent the 80s, uh, racing was very much done to improve the breed. Is, was that, is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's right. Now it's it's marketing, and and even <laughs> you see the, the the it's interesting when you see the the, the press releases when they came, come from Porsche or from Toyota or whatever who is doing it. Uh, sometimes I had the feeling these. These papers are written for the for the board to inform the pop, the people in the board what they are doing, and uh, the yeah. And in the old days, it was more technical. We said yeah. we did this and this, and doesn't work, and so okay, it's old, but we'll do it next time better. Now it's everything is yeah marketing. Yeah, how much? Just to rewind to that 1970 Le Mans. I know you'd obviously just arrived, but um, there must have been a fair amount of pressure on Porsche to be successful at Le Mans that year because it was very much the race the company wanted 
Um, did, did you notice that when you arrived? Yeah, sure. Sure, because uh, with, with uh, all the people you were working, um, they and, and, and you started and said, okay, I do that. And so I said, yeah, but do it carefully because we had to win Le Mans. Because when you see uh, the year before, Porsche won, uh, uh, lost the race by uh, two seconds or so. And uh, they, they always, and Porsche was since, I think, 51 when they started. Every, every year with a car, with customers or factory cars at Le Mans. And, and Le Mans was, is, is very, very, or was in the old days, very important for Porsche because Le Mans is, is that what a Porsche means. So it means speed, because on the, on the, the, the long straight, you have a high top speed, and reliability. You had to run 24 hours. And that's exactly what fits to Porsche, fast and reliable. Yeah. And not not exotic cars. So it was. That's why it's very important to to uh, for Porsche to win Le Mans. And uh, of course, there was a lot of pressure from. But anyhow, you everybody worked as good as it was possible, and well, it worked. And at, at the end of the day, the, we won Le Mans. Yeah. And this was important. And uh, so, actually, the the big goal was achieved. Yeah. The um. You did a lot of work on the aerodynamics of the 917. Um, and obviously, I think you were, you know, you're always told as an aerodynamicist, certainly at Le Mans, you know, improve the drag, don't reduce the downforce. And wasn't one of the big kind of tests whether or not you could take the Mulsanne kink flat? Was that one of the kind of the barometers you worked to? Uh, yeah, well, this was actually what we, what we learned. Uh, but it, it turned out that in the old days, the, the, well, we had we had um, uh, a full-scale wind travel. So you take you took the car, the the, the race car, the, mostly the test car, into the wind travel, and of course everybody was looking for the drag because the top speed was very important in in, in the old days. But it 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 turned out, and we saw uh, quickly that uh, the the downforce balance was not right but you don't have really a feeling because these these the forces in the in these days were not so big so the, there was not a real feeling where you change something and said ah this is a big step so and during testing and wind tunnel testing and, and road testing uh, uh, we learned how important these uh, balances and but of course, you could not, as a young engineer, you could say, okay, I, I make a, a more downforce, I make a good balance, but unfortunately, the drag is going up. So this was not the kind what you can do, because your, 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 your boss comes up and says, what are you doing? That's what that's, that's we are not asking for. Yeah, yeah but it's barely, well, so, and, and therefore, we could make a good drag by a, a, a reasonable balance. And uh, when I talked some time ago with, with Jackie Oliver, he, and we talked about the king and all these things, he said, well, this was a, a perfect situation. In 71, it was perfect. Yeah. I think it's because it, with Derek Bell going through there, he went through the kink not lifting after you'd done some aerodynamic work at sort of 8,000 mm. revs, which turned out to be mm. 246 miles an hour through the kink. Which I mean is astonishing in '71, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was. Yeah, but this shows that the work we did was was pretty fine, and, and yeah. you could see it on you could see it on the circuit. No, but am I right? At that time, you were also testing ABS, or you you were using a very mechanical version of ABS as well, because it's something I read about and I had no idea that Porsche was doing it all the way back in the early '70s. Yeah, ABS was uh, ABS. Is, the system itself took a very long time to develop it, also for the road cars. But uh, it came up in in in, in the in the seventies or sixty nines uh, uh, on this kit system. And Porsche, of course, was interesting. And in the and there were several companies working on these systems. But uh, the most promising was Teltics. Teltics was a small company, and uh, their system was, well, we, we tested it on, on road cars, was uh, actually the best. 
So the, uh, our head of the board uh, came up and said, well, let's try. Uh, and, and Celtic said, we have a, a contract with Mercedes-Benz. And from our side, Mercedes-Benz will be the first in, on the road to have this system. This is uh, written by contract. So you, you will be second for the road cars. Yeah. And then the, the board came up and said, okay, well, we are second in the road car, but we should be first in the race car. So we started uh, the, the, the developing this system for the race car. And my very first uh, race as a uh, uh, responsible engineer was in 71 in, in Austria, in Zeltbeck, the, the, the circuit, with Dr. Marco and uh, Gerard Larousse. And we raced with the ABS system in 71 already. That was fitted to one car, wasn't it? Yeah, to one car, of course. This was actually a kind of test car. So, and uh, we had a lot of problems in practicing, qualifying, and actually in the race, <laughs> the drivers switched it off very early <laughs> because they, they were, yeah, because when, you, when you're not, when the system is not really 100% reliable, uh, of course, and the, the driver are racing. So, uh, and, and you had a bad feeling, so you switch it off and, and start your race. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, at, 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 uh, I don't know, at the half of the race and so on, uh, they crashed in the guardrail because of, I don't know what happened really. The car was a little bit damaged. So the race was over and... Uh, uh, this was typical in these days for Porsche. I said, okay, can you repair it? I said, yeah, we can do it. So we repair the car on Monday morning and do some another test on Monday or Thursday, uh, Tuesday because mm. we want to continue developing because it was all under the, under the headline of development, not just because for, for winning the race, it was John Weyer was working on that, and, and Rodriguez and Sifat were, were, were. So we were actually in the background to do some development. And that's what we did. We repaired the car, and, on, 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 and it was funny. On Monday, the, 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 the system works perfect, and the car, we did faster times than in qualifying. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to ask you about the pink pig. Um, yeah. Because uh, I I do a fair bit of work at Goodwood, and whenever that car, it's it's the it's the car that everyone goes to look at out of sort of all the nine one sevens. Um, and actually, the kind of I think you were working with a French firm on the aerodynamics that kind of made it that kind of bulging sort of bodywork. Um, is is that right? Yeah. This this is was um, with the Institut Eiffel in Paris. Yeah. Porsche, Porsche was working with them already in the in, in, in 69 and 70 and they did also this is 9083 and uh, they worked also on a on a long tail version of the 917 but uh, this was not really working so we, 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 we tried it but then we had to then this was also one of my jobs to to make the car uh, <laughs> drivable and so they came up and said well we can make a 917 with a drag of a long tail car, but with a downforce of a short tail car, which sounds perfect. And that's why uh, the 917-20 officially was called. Now you ever was a peak because it was funny painted. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it turned out that uh, it had it had the downforce of a short tail, but unfortunately also the drag of a short tail. <laughs> so, <laughs> It, it, it does not really work, yeah. and was it, it was only it was only one car built. It was also a kind of okay, we will try and we will see to develop and so on. And uh, the car raced in in seventy one and uh, was crashed by Reinhold Joost, I think, yeah. uh, in the race. So it, actually, a race history was not given. It is only famous because of the silly painting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny that because I you know, there seems to be a, a trend at Porsche where. Obviously, this car, I think it was Tony, who was it, Tony um, Lapine that painted yeah. it? Yeah. Right. And it was after someone said, oh, it looks like a, like a pig. Um, but there's a kind of... Yeah, because of the, 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 it, it looks like it, when the car is normally white, it was painted white in, in the pre-practice. 
Yeah. And uh, because what they really because they tried hard to to reduce the drag and made all these um, corners on the car, the wheel arches and so with big radius. And that's that's why it looks like at the end you said ah okay it's like a pig it's a, it's fat and so on, but it was it, it was the the basic idea was fine, but yeah. it not, that just didn't work really. Mm. But for, you know, fast forward to the nine three five, the nine three six, and suddenly you've got a you've got a grey um, GT zero or a prototype Porsche sitting there, and someone says it looks like a whale, and it's called Moby Dick. There's the, <laughs> there's a, there's a theme at Porsche for you know naming cars after animals. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it. it, it the names are are, are just uh, by accident somehow, yeah. because the the name Peak from the nine seventeen. I think I don't know who came up with that because maybe some journalist or whatever said, ah, it looks like a, 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 and 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 Tony Lapine made it as a pig. Mm. Yeah, the Moby Dick actually was. Uh, yeah, the car. The car was when it was finished for the f- first rollout. It was painted completely in white, which is a normal color for, for Porsche's race car, without any sponsors at the beginning. And uh, uh, with this very white car and very low because it was uh, the floor was cut it. So it was when it was standing on the first time on the wheels. I think one of the mechanics said, uh, look, it looks like uh, Bobby Dick. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's, so... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you um you mentioned the 911 the rsr um earlier which you know is, is really people always think of the 917s the 935s the 962s but really the 911 rsr is one of um the most iconic i just porsches of all time for me anyway certainly the racers um you went to you went to daytona with it as an engineer you went to the targa florio what was what was the targa florio like because um was it considered just a, an, another race then? Um, you know, I always look back on it with sort of such amazement that a race like that c- could happen. Well, it was actually Targa Flora is a very old race. I think it was first time in 1906 or seven yeah. or something like this. It's very old. So it was a tradition. And like uh, Le Mans, Targa Florio, Spa, Nürburgring, these were these traditional circuits. Uh, Notchleife in Nürburgring was a similar situation. Well, it was not an open road, but uh, in Italy it was possible to race on open roads. Nobody cares. <laughs> and uh, that's why the tradition could build up. And when, well, we went there uh, like to a, to a normal race because uh, it was on our schedule, Targa Florio, and it was tradition to go there. Porsche has won it several times with the 908 and 906 and so on. And so um, it was for us a normal race. And uh, in the old days, there was also, there was no paddock. Like like I told you in Monaco with Formula One, there was no paddock. So everybody had to look for a garage to, 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 to stay in there and work in there. And uh, for practice, you put the car on the on the truck, or in in, in Italy it was easy, or in Fra- in France it's easy to to run the race car on the open road through the normal traffic. Nobody cares. You don't need a license number, so when the police make the, the stop the other traffic and let you run with the race car through through the traffic, it was perfect. So it's uh, yeah, but they all were enthusiastic, and so we had a we had a. a, a Coming back to the to the workshop, we had to a small garage which was dirty, and I think there were animals in 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 the garage, which was a, a lazy a garage. Now it was an animal, but they put the animals out, and so we went in, and uh, then uh, uh, Italian journalist, it was uh, Francolini, I think. It was formerly uh, working with Ferrari in the old, very old days. And he came up and said, and I said, look, it's terrible here, so uh, we should go home <laughs> because we couldn't work on the cars. And he said, in this garage were Mercedes already, and they were on Targa Florio. <laughs> so this was building up a little bit, and yeah, and... Uh, so we cleaned the garage and then we could work, so it was not a problem. And at the end, okay, we were lucky to win it. 
But I, did you, was it not one year at Le Mans? Where you, because you used to stay sort of outside of the circuit and have a garage, you know, as you were talking about. And I think it wasn't the one year that you left a bit late and the, the very officious policeman wouldn't actually let your cars into the circuit, the race cars. Yeah, it was, yeah, it more was similar. We have a garage in a, in a small village close to Mulsanne. And uh, you drove the car, of course, by on the, on the road to the, to the circuit. And in Mulsanne, where the, the, the racetrack gets through, uh, there was a police. Yeah, and we, normally you had to. They clo- they closed all the the, the 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 circuit at a certain time. I don't know, eight o'clock in the morning or so. Uh, and these policemen were came up and said, "Ah, you are not allowed to go there." And so, and uh, we normally could you could even after when it was closed, uh, the, when you come with a race car, every police. Uh, let you in, in in the circuit, but this one was not possible. So we had to run on a normal road, uh, and we 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 came in the traffic jam and and uh, in in a small village somewhere. It was terrible, and probably we we damaged the, the engine. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that was the last year you you weren't in the paddock, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> from from eighty from eighty two, uh, we 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 had our own uh, tent in the paddock. Yeah. And some years later, they built uh, the, the 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 new a new building with the with the garages or box boxes or so on. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd, now, I'd, no, I'd... nobody nobody really can imagine what that what this happened. We had a garage in Spa. We had a, somewhere in Staffelo. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and, and you entered the circuit and went with the race car to the paddock <laughs> or to yeah. the pits. Actually, paddock was not really. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now, I, I really wanted to talk to you about um, some of the drivers you worked with, because, you, you know, you worked with so many over your time at Porsche. But just before I do, I've got some uh, some readers' questions here. Um, there's some here uh, from Ben Johnson, which sort of brings the Porsche story sort of more up to date. Um, he's asking, does the future of electric road cars excite you? <laughs> Not really. Should I, just, should, I, should I just move on to the next question? Okay. <laughs> I think, um, how, really. I, I, like this, I like this one from Ben. Um, how compromised is the 911 with the engine beyond the rear axle? Well, in the old, in the old days with the RSR, for instance, it was a little bit of a challenge to the driver. Uh, but now, with all the technical possibilities you have, and and I think a big step was uh, from the aerodynamic side, these these rear spoiler, because these uh, the 911, the basic 911, is like other cars, have quite some lift. Downforces on road cars was not uh, was not uh, there, so, and you got also a, a, a different lift balance. And especially the 911 with the weight at, at the back and a lot of lift at the back. So the, the, the rear spoiler on the RSR helped a lot because that's why actually everybody comes, ah, the car feels really nice. So, and of course, you could do uh, wider rear tires, which actually at, at, the, at the beginning, uh, the front and rear tire were all the same in this days, but making wider rear tires helped. And today, I think in 911, when you drive, you don't feel it as a rear engine. Yeah, 
Um, just just going back to the the electric car future. What do, you know, with all your engineering experience, what do you see as the future of of road cars? Oh, <laughs> it's not easy to say, but uh, I think it could be a compromise. It's some well hybrids we have already. Yeah, and nobody really uh, cares of, about the spectators. Uh, they really, don't really realize that it's a hybrid car. Mm. But uh, I think it's a, quite a big step. And maybe there is what Le Mans tries: this uh, hydrogen. Yeah. Or this is one 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 way. And they they the Mr. Fior, the, the president, is really fixed on that. He thinks that is a good idea. Uh, basically, he's right, but. We should also, and this is, I think, the next step, and that this is more, more raceable, is the e-fuel, this, the 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 uh, scientific fuel or what Yeah, the have. biofuel. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I yeah. think uh, uh, both kinds could could survive, and of course, electric. We have the Formula E today, and it's it's nice racing, but uh, uh, yeah. A little bit, a little. I think for racing, you need also a little sound of an engine. Yeah. But I think, <laughs> I, I, I think... Now you hear only the noise of a gearbox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose that's that's for me. That's always been the why Le Mans is such a wonderful race because you know when there were diesels there, when Peugeot um, and Audi came in with the diesels, if you had a whole grid of cars like that, it wouldn't have been such a such a great spectacle whereas you still had the v10 aston martin you had the diesels mm. up at the front you had petrol cars and is that mm. that's surely the the brilliance of le mans is it not well le mans is, is very special and i i remember and i was very often there when you are in the in the in the pit road and the car passes by and you hear the noise when they pass, when they're coming on up and then they, they pass you and then the sound changes completely going up to the Dunlop uh, bridge. It's, it's, that's what for me, it belongs also to Le Mans. Anyhow, it's a, it's a, if a turbo engine or, or an aspirated engine, aspirated is even better in the sound. And you, you feel when you, when you are there on Saturday, Saturday night, and on Sunday morning, it's the sound is completely different. It sounds different, and it's this is amazing. And I don't know why, but is maybe because you are tired and you hear different. I don't know, but this is what for me it's also a very important thing for Le Mans. The sound from Saturday and Sunday, it's fantastic. Yeah, and uh, of course, uh, and I think it doesn't matter if it's a diesel or a, or a fuel engine. It doesn't matter really. The sound is yeah. different. Hmm. It depends on the, how many cylinders you have, <laughs> or you have a lot of turbos in, so it's much much more yeah. quieter. <laughs> now, I, there's, you've worked with so many drivers, but I suppose I wanted to start with Jackie X. Um, because really, it, the, it was Daytona in the 935 with Jochen Mass that I always think of one of his great races, yeah. and also Le Mans in 77. What was Jackie like to work with? Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. He was, and, and I think it's, it's, it's not just Jackie. I, I realized that with other uh, real professional drivers, when they start working, with the car and, and and in the old days you don't have any data so you had only what your information was through the driver and this was important not just it's it's and you had to understand the driver it's uh, I, I i once i i i said it normally as a young engineer you hear what he's saying but this is not enough you need to know what he is meaning and a big example I had when I had one test once in my very young time with Hans Hermann hmm? yeah. before he stopped. And he told me, uh, and he was not actually comfortable with a young engineer which was right from the university. <laughs> he was probably used to, to experienced engineers. And he said, look, my young friend, when I talk to Mr. Falk, Peter Falk, he was an experienced and he was actually my boss at the end. And I said, well, 
which I think we should make the car softer. And he made it stiffer. And then he came up and said, that's exactly what I mean. And in, the, in these days, I didn't, un, I didn't understand what he means. But actually, through all these, my, my experience in, with Porsche and the race cars, it's what means the driver. And it's sometimes a little different what he says. And when you have no experience and with the driver, and no, no, yeah, then you actually not really, uh, you come not together. <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's different. What he, some, some drivers are expressing it very complicated. Some are more straightforward or some are a little bit mixed or so. Or the other thing is we had one as a driver. They, they, they started with, with all the kinds of problems when we had in, 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 in practice. For instance, he has a, a, quite some understeer. And uh, then we have uh, the gear shift was not right. And then we have a lot of oversteer. And then he came up and said, ah, but the engine, I think it's not really pulling right. So you have three or four or five so, uh, these items. And what do you do first? Fighting against understeer? Fighting against oversteer? And, and you, you don't understand. And when you come up and say, well, in that call, and then you ask uh, the second driver, what, what, you, what is your opinion? And he said, in the same corner where the first one had understeer, he said, yeah, I have oversteer. <laughs> and then you don't understand anything. Yeah. And that's what you mean. So, and then you work with them and you come up and said, ah, he has more emphasis of entering the corner and not going out. And the other one has no problem entering the corner, but exiting fast is a problem. So he has the oversteer and exiting fast, and the other one has a problem going in fast with an understeer. Yeah. yeah. Then you are, you know what I mean. That's what the drivers mean, and that they had to, and you had to know where is their emphasis. Is it in going in or going out? And, Jackie, and that's what you don't see in the data. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's you know, it's, it's as you say, it's so different now. You know, there's there's nothing that isn't doesn't have a sensor on it or a data trace or, you know, but I, I really, I wanted to ask you about Le Mans in 77 uh, with Jackie in the 936, because I think he thinks of that as one of his greatest ever drives. Certainly from what I can tell it was, what, what yeah. was your opinion? He, 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 afterwards, he told me that uh, he will never have, uh, have such an effort more in his life than in that race. This was, the last big effort what he could do. Mm. And when you see, he was driving, yeah, just with us, uh, the minimum interruption, what the regulation says, with one hour, he was driving full time, 10 hours, 12 hours, in the night, doing lap records and all these things. And um, actually, he was right. He said we had to pressure, to put pressure on the Renault. Otherwise, they, they drive in gently and win, win the race. And he was absolutely right. And he really did a big, big effort. And uh, when you saw him right after the race in his helmet, you said, is it really Jackie? It looks completely different. Yeah. He lost, did he not lose more than a stone in body weight? Pardon, he lost? Did, did, he, did he not lose um, a stone in body weight over the race? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it was uh, four or five kilos. Yeah, somebody was, and this was because it was a, a was it not a Conrad that went on his car? Yeah, on his on his basic car. Yeah. Now we must just take a moment to pause the podcast there and thank our partner Princess Yachts. Princess Yachts has been a long time supporter of Motorsport Magazine, and we are absolutely delighted that they're on board as the partner of this series on Porsche. Much like the one with the green cover. Princess Yachts epitomizes the very best of British manufacturing, and they do incredible things on a daily basis. Do check out their website at princessyachts.com. When, when Jackie finally stood down, the, the drama didn't stop, did it? Because I think it was, there were not more problems with the car after that. What do you mean with the problems? Because well, Jackie stood down from the driving, and then Jürgen Bath and Hurley Hayward carried on, but I think there was a... 
um, you were you were in the lead by quite some margin. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. And then we had a we had a uh, I think it was a control problem, right? Uh, an hour or, or forty five minutes before the end of the race, and uh, so we were leading. And uh, the second couldn't catch up, but you had to run over the uh, start and finish line at the end of the race. So we, we, we cut it, uh, the ignition and fuel off of that cylinder. And Jürgen Barth did a wonderful job. He <laughs> did the, the minimum of three laps. <laughs> to have a, a certain, the last lap had to be in a certain time of your qualifying time. So, and when you enter the pits for this engine problem, you started already the lap. So we, st we were standing there for half an hour or so in the pits. So the lap time of the last lap was half an hour. So we had to go out, go again over the start and finish line, start a new lap, do your, uh, your, your minimum lap, and then lap time, and then you can finish the race. <laughs> and that, 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 was, that was your fourth Le Mans win. I think you, by the time you finished your 29 Le Mans 24 hours, you'd won it 16 times. Um, is that one of the ones that sticks out the most, or were there other ones that you remember? Oh, yeah, there are a lot. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of, well, this is one of the highlights, of course, but there are uh, some others which were, uh, it's always a, a thing with, with Le Mans, when you have, for instance, we had in the 956, once we had a race, which was absolutely without any problem. And in that case, you get more and more nervous because you know you normally have a problem, a small one, a puncture or uh, whatever. You always have a kind of problem. And when you race for 10 hours, 12 hours, 15 hours, and you don't have anything, you get really nervous because now it must be happened. And it happened actually, you had a, a puncture. <laughs> you changed the wheel, he went out again. He did not really lost a lot of time. And then you are quiet and said, oh, okay, now we had the problem, now we can finish the race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, um, you mentioned the 956 there, the, the 956 and the 962. How much was that a challenge for you as an engineer? Because that, that was your first monocoque, was it not, at Porsche? Yeah, I think the, 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 the monocoque was, of course, it was a new, uh, new situation. But uh, we did it like we did it all in the past with Porsche. Uh, we had, of course, we had the possibility of going to some to to, to other companies and said, uh, "Can you make us a, um, a monocoque, like uh, Lola or March, or or even when we went to Donier and asked about the, uh, the, the 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 how to what rivets, what metal, what glue, what did you, what did you use? So we want to learn it because. We could then we can do it, and maybe we can do it very special and very in our in our kind. Not having somebody and said, ah, we, we do it always like this, and now we do it again. So we want to do it our own. We don't know it, and we did a lot of test uh, bodies with twisting and bending, and we learned about the riveting and the, the and all these kinds. So within I think weeks, we got a lot of knowledge. And at, at the end, we tried to okay. Now we make a monocoque like we like we did in the past with a, with a space frame. It's also it's not well. It was an old tradition, but when you start making a, your first space frame, it's also a new challenge. So why not? So and we did it, and well, it was fine. The monocoque was actually never a real problem. Mm. And when when I read it, some interesting books. <laughs> Now I think there are a lot of books about the 956 and so on, especially from the American side. The American are always, we make it better. Whatever you do, give us, we make it better. <laughs> they, they went up and said, ah, we make a honeycup monocoque and we make it the, the, the special aluminum. We made it uh, because the people know about it. The Porsche, they are, they are learning. They had no idea. At the end, what the, what the, 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 the weak point in, in, in stiffness was never the monocoque. <laughs> it was the frame and the, 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 the clutch housing. <laughs> this was actually the problem. And they never talked about this. They all, yeah. because the monocoque was the stiffest part of the, of the unity. We'll talk briefly about the, the GT1, the, the car in 98 that, that won the race. Um, mm -hmm. Do you, 
is it fair to say that the 956, the 962 really is, is arguably the most successful sports car of all time? Um, helped by obviously all the Porsche customer teams, you know, there were so many yeah. on the grid, but yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's hard to argue any other sports car was as successful. Is that fair? That's fair. I think it's fair because uh, as, as Porsche always supported the customers and it was pretty clear. And I, I, I found a note uh, when before even when we had the first rollout and before we raced in, in Silverstone, the first time in 82, we had already a meeting how, we, how many cars we can make for customers. So we didn't even know how the car was working, but we were thinking already about customer cars. This was important for us. Yeah. So, and it was then we were sure. Okay, we make we make customer cars. Customers try their own way with uh, some kinds of nine three sixes or special uh, made special bought special chassis from March or whatever. And when they got the car, and we, we we offered them the car, they all jumped on these cars. So at the end, I think we made hundreds. Mm. Yeah, of the hundreds you made. We could homologate the car in GT. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, with the tower. There's some phrase in in motorsports. um, Of the hundreds you made, it's great to see so many thousands of them still racing today. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and more and more coming. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, I just, I wanted to ask about the Spa 24 hours in 2003. Um, cause I, you always say that that was, you know, that was a race that really stood out for you. You were there with a, with a nine eleven, Um, and I think Dumas was quite a young, you know, young gun then. Uh, yeah, uh, this was, uh, yeah, uh, of course, when, when Porsche was not really have their own racing program, uh, they supported the customers and in that, on that way, uh, I was, uh, yeah. I came to the customers department and we supported uh, uh, some customers. In that case, it was, I think it was Freisinger and uh, they run the, the, the RS uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, they had, uh, uh, who was also on the car, it was, or Telly was on the car and Mark Lieb was on the car, or Telly was an experienced driver and, and uh, successful. Mark Lieb was coming as a young one and we had Romain Dumas, the youngster. Nobody knows him really, but he was a nice guy. And he has a very special kind of, of talking and so on. And I liked it. And uh, of course, when the race started, it's bar as usual. Uh, you start in dry and after two hours it was raining and it's uh, a little bit. And after half an hour it was dry and you, you, you change to dry, uh, dry tires and then it starts raining again. So. And uh, of course, uh, Ortelli started and then came Mark Lieb. And after, I don't know, three, four, five hours, uh, okay, the youngster, Romain Dumas, came into the car because you need three drivers because 24 hours is, yeah, you need three. Today, you need three. In the old days, it was two. <laughs> <laughs> and during the pit stop, we changed the tires. And of course, we put slick on again, but new ones. And it started raining. And I remember very well when uh, Romain opened the door and said, look, it's raining and you put me slicks on. (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) And I said, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It will stop in two laps. The first two laps, be very careful with cold slicks in rain, but then it's dry. And we were lucky. The rain stopped and he was after two or three laps. He could race on the and all the, the rest of the of the field they had changed uh, already before so they changed uh, to race to rain tires and after four laps they changed back to dry tire so <laughs> we had a, quite a big lead already <laughs> by this funny decision <laughs> and he made it excellent he made it really yeah. excellent I said yeah. be careful and don't hurry and 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 he made it perfect. Yeah. Well, now well, he's, he's a big he's, he's, he's gone on to achieve a lot, Roma, hasn't he? Yeah, he's he's, yeah. he's excellent. Yeah. Um, now <clears throat> we've got sort of you know five ten minutes left. I, I wanted to ask you about Derek Bell. Um, you know, he was such a successful driver, sports car driver. You know, for Porsche. Um, 
Am I right in thinking that he was kind of, in some senses, he was the greatest team player of, of all the drivers? Yeah, yeah. He was, he was, uh, Derek Bell was, in the, in the old days, he, he always had big names like Joe Sifford or Rodriguez or Jackie X. They were, let's say, more famous in, in, in Europe. In England is different because he's English. But, and what his speciality was, he could run at a really high speed, very constant, and don't do anything to the car. And Jackie X uh, selected him only for Le Mans because he said once, when I get out of the car and Derek is doing a double stint, and after that I go back into the car, the car is exactly how I left it. Hmm. So Derek had, had a wonderful style of not doing anything to the car. And that's why he's successful because he he, he never he never crashed he never he, he never ruined an engine or whatever so he's and he was fast anyhow so yeah. he was a per, he was a perfect driver in and, in uh, sports car racing when you need two drivers yeah and in, in the era of of you know the, the fuel regulations he was also very easy on the fuel wasn't he yeah 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 yeah. Um, Norbert, we've we've talked sort of. You know, there's so much to talk about with you. I I feel that, that everyone listening will will be screaming out, "Why haven't you talked about that? Why haven't you talked about that?" And really, it's it's time we could do a series of ten podcasts with you and still not finish it all. Um, but I wanted to kind of just finish with um, a couple of things. First of all, what which car do you look back on the most fondly? You know, you were involved in so many great poor sports cars is the one that holds a special place in your heart yeah of course it was i think it was the 956 yeah which which we 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 started with a a, a white paper and we could actually do what we as engineer want to do in the old days, you you when you uh, sit on a on on a, on a nine seventeen or nine oh eight or whatever or nine three six, so the basic was already done. But in that case, we could do what really we want. And then we came up and said, well, we had at, at, with the monocoque, we had some discussions with the board because they, they said we always since decades we're making the best space frames, and uh, why we should do monocoque. And uh, so the arguments are it should be much more safer, much more stiffer, and so on. At least they said, oh, okay, then try, try it. So, but and we, and we got the opportunity, and we yeah we did the best what we could do. Mm. So this is actually uh, and from the aerodynamic side to 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 introduce the the grand the ground force in a sports car. Uh, it was already known, in, and I think Lotus did it first with with, uh, with in Formula One, and they said, "Ah, we know we know uh, ground effects. Ground effects. Uh, Formula One has it." And and but it's a complete different story in sports car because sports car is from the shape completely different, and we had to learn it, and we learned it. I think in one week, that's okay. it, it. Which way we had to go. Yeah. And when you look through, and this was one of the big advantages of the 956 or 962, because we had managed to find a very efficient ground effect. When you look on, 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 on the Ford, uh, what they tried, or when they, on the Lola's or on the March, and when I had, uh, some time ago, I had a look in, 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 in the old, uh, I think, Autosport or Motorsport, from these days, I had copies from these days where these guys are introducing their new Group C cars. It was a Jaguar, and it was a March, and it was a Lola, and it was a Grit, and it was a, a Ford, and it was Lancia, and uh, well, Lancia came a year later, and they all had famous aerodynamicists and famous companies doing their cars. And when I saw two years later, nothing was left from them hmm. because. They went to, to the IMSA, they went to Japan, they went to other series just to avoid racing against the 956. <laughs> <laughs> that's my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> to, to bring yeah, it up to... Look, look, on the, look on the grid on, 
Yeah. Yeah. Only, only, only lunch I was there. Yeah. It's, um, it, it sort of brings us up to date. Um, there's a question here from Mr. A.R. Felix um, about the sort of LMDH and the hypercar yeah. rules. Um, before I sort of ask the question, what are your thoughts on these new rules at Le Mans with these two categories? Well, it's, it reminds me a little bit in the, cat, in, in the year of 94. We had a, 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 a GT race car the GD1 race car, and Toyota had a prototype car. Hmm. So we have a similar situation. Now you call it not GT1, you call it hypercar. And in the old days, it was uh, the, 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 the prototype cars, which you have still uh, some are doing these prototype cars, which is a, a basic chassis, uh, yeah, a basic chassis and suspension, but you just have the possibility of having a different engine. But the situation is similar. You have you you have a, a kind of road-based race car, and you raced against a prototype car. And today you have the possibility, and I hope they do it all right with all the kinds of sensors and softwares to balance these two cars. Why not? You, I mean, you were obviously you know at Le Mans, you you helped um, advise on the on the balance of performance. Is it really going to be possible to balance the performance of these two different cars? I think it's possible. I think it's possible because today uh, they 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 take all these cars in in the same wind tunnel and check the aerodynamics. They take uh, the engines on the dyno and and, and look. Or no, they they do. Uh, what they do is they give uh, a certain power line with or without hybrid doesn't matter. And you have these power line. You don't. And you are not allowed to, to, to go over the power line. With the, with the software and sensors today, you can control it very easy. So why not? So you run uh, uh, the same power. You, have, uh, you are all in the same aerodynamic window. Uh, then you have the next one is what about the tires? Is there, uh, you are, the tires are free. So are you running Michelin or you're running Goodyear or running uh, Yokohama or whatever? This could be. Uh, a different, yeah. But this we will see, yeah. and I'm not sure if 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 so many companies, tire companies, are uh, working and, and spending a lot of money to get into that. So maybe Michelin will su uh, supply them all the kind of tires, and then this problem is also solved. Yeah. So then, just just finally, this this question from Mr. And the, and the next Felix. one is, and the next one there will there will be a category. What I said that before, maybe with hydrogen cars, and hydrogen cars should be, or with uh, e-fuel cars. This is another category. Why not? Yeah. yeah. You, <clears throat> so the, the field is open. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's about it's what Le Mans should be. Um, yeah. right, there's there's a question here from Mr. Al Felix, and he's he's saying, I know it's cheaper, but are you not afraid that? Um, not building your own car for Le Mans, um, as in LMDH, uh, just kind of waters down any kudos you may gain from racing. Uh, yeah, of course. When you can't not make your own car, that means chassis, suspension, aerodynamic, all these things are, then it's, that's what Porsche always did. But we saw it several times in the past. In GT1, when you could do a lot of things, you spend so much money. Yeah. And at the end, you have one or two manufacturers racing. And I talked several times to, to Pierre Fillon in, in some years ago and to Sean Todd and said, make this uh, LMP1 cheaper. Who can afford spending uh, three, four, five hundred million euros per year? Nobody can do it for a long term. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we think about it. Now, I think it's the cost cap what they're doing, and that's they end up with a, a standard chassis and standard things to make it cheap and standard hybrid system. Uh, because in the, in the days today, of course, there are one or two companies who can afford and paying a lot of money for development. But... Then you have only one or two in the race, and everybody said it's it's a, it's a, uh, the race is not very interesting because we have only two cars, or one car, one manufacturer. Yeah. yeah? So when you have when you want several, four or five uh, manufacturers involved, 
you had to make it cheaper. And that's it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, if this is the right way, I don't know. But you had to make it cheaper. This is important. Yeah. We cannot well, spend so much money. I think someone so, who has spent so long at really at the at the forefront of Porsche and motorsport, um, we need to listen to you. Uh, and it's been absolutely fascinating for the last hour or so. So, Norbert, thank you so much for joining us all. Um, thank you all to those who are watching, those who are listening. And we'll be back again soon with another podcast in our Porsche's Winning Formula series. Norbert, thank you. Bye-bye to everyone. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. It was nice. Bye-bye.